Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to episode 72 of the Talking Fires podcast. Today we have a special guest. Actually, our second time having him on. He was our first guest, Jesse Agler, uh, play-by-play voice of the San Diego Padres on the radio side, uh, along with Tony Gwynn Jr., Jesse, it's so good to have you on again. Ben, thanks for having me back. And uh, that's pretty impressive, man. 71 episodes since we last talked. Nice job. That's right. Thank you. All right. So let's first get into it. Uh, before getting to the Padres first, though, what was it like for you and Tony having fans back in the stands as your background uh, to calling games this past season? It was everything. You know, I mean, especially on radio, where obviously it's a, it's a totally audio experience, right? It's it's all. Only what you can hear is what you've got, and and the fans being there changed everything. You know, not at the beginning of the year, although it was impressive. I, I think it was capped at Petco at least at fifteen thousand early in the year, and most nights it sounded like thirty. It really did. I'm not just saying that. I mean, it was we we made a million comments probably on the air, definitely off the air about how loud it was, considering there were only fifteen thousand people in there. It was like back in the old days. You had 15,000 people in the building. It felt depressing and quiet, and you were like, ah, this crowd isn't that into it. Um, But when you had 15 during the pandemic, it was like, oh, wow. People were so excited to be there, so appreciative, I think, of the opportunity to be there that they went, you know, full-throated all out. And it was was pretty remarkable that it was. And then when it opened up to full capacity, I guess, in June, that series against the Reds, which ended up being just remarkably dramatic and exciting, and um, it was as loud as I've ever heard the place. Uh, And no, I haven't been around forever. Uh, and I wasn't here in 98 and obviously Qualcomm even bigger. And I'm sure it was probably louder in October of 98. But uh, in my time since 2014, I never heard Peco louder as I did this year. And uh, I, I think it's just the start of uh, that kind of thing, because uh, the fans here are so into it, obviously, and, uh, and and have every reason to be. 
Yeah, that Dodger series. Well, okay, so I have my family has season tickets, so we went in. Uh, what was that? April, uh, that first series, and that was even electric. You know, yeah. with you know, like less than half capacity. And then when it opened up, um, that Dodger series where they swept them at Petco. Uh, I remember when Grisham took that walk um, in the final game of the series. That was like the ground was shaking. Like that was the most excited I've ever seen, you know, a stadium for a walk with the bases loaded to Brown. And I think the go ahead run, I mean, the, yeah, the stadium, the atmosphere was just electric. And I guess that that's kind of why it made it, you know, that frustrating that the team wasn't able to, you know, make the postseason based on how, you know, excited the whole fan base was. Um, and part of that reason why the fan base was so excited was Fernando Tatis Jr., Yesterday on MLB Network, it was announced that he placed third in the MVP voting. Uh, what were your thoughts on him losing uh, to Bryce Harper and Juan Soto? It, it was kind of mind-boggling a little bit for me to see the final results. I believe Brandon Crawford actually got more first-place votes than Fernando Tatis Jr. did. Um, so that was just kind of weird to me. But what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there's a million ways to break it down. And I think maybe the place to start is with recency bias. You know, mm-hmm. you get the voting taking place at the end of the regular season. And obviously, the Padres finished terribly. The Giants finished brilliantly. That probably explains away at least most of the Brandon Crawford, you know, Fernando thing. And look, Crawford had a great season. He really did. And yeah. and I'm actually glad he got some MVP votes because I think, you know, he, he was as weird as it might sound under the radar for most of the year. But he finished strong. The team finished strong. Obviously, the Padres did not finish strong. So that's kind of where that comes from. Look, for, for me, what Fernando accomplished this year, He's the MVP. Am I objective? Obviously not. Um, but, you know, I mean, when you consider the injuries and the numbers he still put up, when you consider the position change, like the, the amount of talent that oozes out of his body is remarkable. Um, and I, I think he was, you know, more valuable to his team than any other uh, player in baseball this year. Look, Soto and Harper had great years. You know, just Harper is just like a numbers machine. So it's, it's going to be very easy for Bryce Harper to win MVPs because it's like he does everything at least – pretty well there's nothing he he doesn't seem to do well at least offensively and so like the numbers are always going to be there the traditional numbers are going to be there the metrics are going to be there you know it it's it, it's going to be tough to get past Bryce Harper most years when he's healthy um, because he is a tremendous talent um, so again I'm not taking away anything from him or Soto who's probably the best pure hitter we've seen maybe since Tony Gwynn uh, at least in the National League and uh, they're 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 wonderful players but like for me Fernando you factor it all in and again i get to watch him every night um you know i i I was stunned that he finished third um i'm not surprised that he didn't win it just again the way the season ended that that's a big part of it it really is and i think you know we all have to remember that and fair or not the team's struggles did impact him and and you can say well neither harper nor soto made the playoffs either yeah but they didn't kind of finish the way the padres did remember the padres got to the kind of top of the mountain in june or july and then it was kind of that slow steady decline um so when those you know voters are filling out their ballots in late september or early october whatever it is that's that's the padres they're thinking of that's the tatis they're thinking of and i'm not saying it should be that way i'm just i I think giving you what i see is the the reality of the situation so it's disappointing certainly um but everything was disappointing this year um so hopefully it's it's sort of you know fuel on the fire uh moving forward in 2022 i I don't think fernando needs any more motivation he's just one of the best players ever so he'll be fine um but you know it kind of goes to that chip on the shoulder thing that i think a lot of good teams have and and maybe that'll be a part of the padres mo uh moving forward in 2022 and and hopefully beyond yeah and we talk about this you know mvp conversation this morning 
John Heyman kind of replied to one of uh, my tweets, the Talking Friars Twitter account about, and I was just saying how it was kind of mind-boggling to me that he had Tatis fourth, not even in the top three, but fourth in his MVP ballot. Um, and, you know, he was like incredible question mark, LOL. And I just replied, yeah, it's pretty incredible when, you know, Tatis led the National League in home runs, had a war that was higher than Crawford, or, you know, he hit 18 more homers than he did, drove in seven more runs than him. And, oh, by the way, he did all this, but, you know, when he was switching positions to the outfield and then switching back and then recovering from all the shoulder, you know, subluxations. So you had all of the shoulder, you know, strengthening process. So, again, it was all close. I'm not, I don't want to make it seem like it wasn't close, uh, but just the things that he had to deal with. But I do understand, you know, the points that you made about, you know, the recency bias. I think we all have it. We might not want to admit it, but I think we do all have it. Yeah. If, if Fernando, you know, and the Padres forget Fernando, cause he was consistent. Mm-hmm. If the Padres had struggled early in the year and finished strong and Fernando had the identical season that he had, he's the MVP. And I mean, that's to me, I think the reality of it, and that's a little bit the silliness of the system, right? Um, because it is an individual award, obviously it's about, a, it's called player, most valuable player. It really shouldn't, at least by that definition, have anything to do with the success of the team. I understand the argument for team success, but you know, I, I just think that that's generally the way it works. I also think the voting has gotten much, much, much better in the last, call it, 10 years. Maybe that's a little too generous, maybe even six years. Um, but, you know, you have uh, an electorate, I think, that is tighter um, in terms of, of who it is. You have an electorate that's certainly far more educated in in some of the advanced numbers and, and modern baseball. That wasn't the case a decade ago. And so you had a lot of kind of head-scratching MVP or whatever award you want to talk about results. Um, you know, for, for this one, again, you could make arguments for those guys, but I, I believe in my heart of hearts, you know, had the Padres season been inverted, uh, had they struggled early, finished strong, and maybe gotten into the playoffs as a wild card uh, or, or better, he's probably the runaway MVP. And, and again, that kind of just points to the, the way that the system is set up for better or worse. And, um, you know, look, water under the bridge at, at this point, it's, it's, it is what it is. I will say this too, as somebody, you're in New York I, right now for college. I grew up on the East Coast when I was growing up and, and as a young professional and I'd hear people on the West coast complain about the East coast bias, I always rolled my eyes. I always rolled my eyes. I was like, okay, guys get over it. Like, you know, you got the second biggest media market in the country out in LA, you're fine. But now having been here and having experienced um, life on the West coast for, you know, seven, eight years, uh, it's, it's real, man. It's real. Like, and, and I've done a total 180 on it and there's absolutely an East coast bias. Now, is it like a conscious, you know, oh, we hate the West Coast. No, of course not. Like, there's nobody out, you know, East who's like, you know, we want to screw those California teams. That's not what's going on. What's going on is all the games start at 10 o'clock at night. And mm-hmm. everybody goes to bed. They're not seeing what's happening out here with the kind of regularity that we get to see, you know, what's going on back East or what they're seeing, obviously, in their markets. And, um, you know, so it's it's very difficult. You have two two voters for this award, right, from each market in the yep. National League. So, like, the, the two folks in New York and Philly and Washington, how many Padre games did they see this year? Truly, you know, I mean, that's that's just the unfortunate, you know, reality of of time zones and the fact that, you know, the, the the West Coast teams play at a time that makes it hard to watch on the East Coast. Now, it makes sense for us here in San Diego, but does it make sense, you know, when it comes to awards? No, it probably hurts with that. So there, there is I don't know that bias is even the right word then, um, but there is, you know, an East Coast preference or an East Coast something uh, that exists with this kind of thing. And that that has to be part of the conversation. And 
look, I, I've said to people for a couple of years now, again, having lived on both coasts and, and you're going through this now, I, I would love to see MLB kind of force the Padres, the Angels, the Dodgers, the Giants, just once in a while, not all the time, because you don't want to screw with the player schedules too much and you don't want to mess with attendance. But let's play some five o'clock games, you know, local here. So it's on at eight o'clock in New York. It's eight o'clock in Washington. It's eight o'clock in Philadelphia. Like if you got a good, even if it's a Monday, you know, like you got a good Padre Dodger game. Normally you say, okay, it's going to be at 710 or 640 coming forward for the Padres. Let's play that thing at 510. Let's play that thing at 440. And make sure people on the East Coast are actually seeing it. I think that would be good for the sport. I think it would be good for these teams. I understand the sort of short-term attendance and or TV ratings concerns that might exist. Um, but I, I would love to see, you know, one team kind of break the seal on that idea and try doing it. Because I, I think it would be a, a really big help. Especially, you know, once we get some of the, uh, the, the, the broadcast rights and streaming things all figured out. Yeah, and, you know, you go back to the whole East Coast thing. I mean, even, you know, my first semester here. When the Padres were playing, I'm obviously a diehard Padre fan, been my whole life. So I stayed up till 1.32 in the morning to watch these games uh, because even when they, you know, were collapsing, you know, and the Cardinals were winning, you know, 17 games in a row or whatever. Uh, but I could totally understand why someone sitting there at 11 o'clock at night is like, no, you know what, I'll just watch MLB Network in the morning and see what happened. They're not actually seeing, oh, Fernando – you know, made this diving play. They, they're not going to show, they don't show that. They might show the home run that, you know, Trey Turner hit off Chris Paddock or whatever, but they're not going to show that. And so just those little things with the value that he brings and all that, I could certainly see uh, how that might sway some people's votes. Um, but let's move on to last year. Still, I guess, still staying on last year. Do you believe that that Padres downfall you know, started at the deadline when they didn't get Scherzer, even though it looked like they were going to. And then AJ uh, did not go out and get any starting pitching. Do you think that had an effect on the clubhouse? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it did. You know, I think everything has an effect on the clubhouse. And, and there is a point of, you know, responsibility that the clubhouse has to take for itself. You'd be like, all right, this stunk. It is what it is. But we got to kind of collect ourselves and move forward. And I, I, I don't point to that necessarily as like the biggest thing. It was one of a lot of things. Um, and I think when you have that sort of, uh, you know, negative result in the back half of the season, it's never going to be one or two things. It's going to be a collection of things. And I think most of them are obvious. You know, if somebody is listening to the Talking Friars podcast, they probably have a pretty good sense of what went wrong uh, for the team last year. But the one I think it's a little bit under discussed. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of focus on that a little bit took place earlier in the year um, when they were winning and it was the way the bullpen was used. Now I'm not saying I would have done it any differently. I'm not saying they could have done it any differently. You know, you're coming off the shortened 2020 season. Um, you had starters who weren't built up. You had in some cases starters who weren't really capable early in the year of going more than four innings with any kind of regularity. And that put a huge strain on the bullpen. And at the time, I mean, I remember Tony and I talking about it off the air, like that that's, that's going to come bite you in the butt at some point. You know, it just is. That's that's how baseball works. You can't ask that much of that group of guys early in the season and not expect it to have an impact later. And they hung on for dear life. They really did. You know, I mean, what that bullpen was able to do for most of the season was pretty remarkable, but it was just, I think, a little bit too much to ask. And again, coming off the weird season, you know, the, the starters not going deep into games on a very regular basis early in the year, all of that put together kind of put a pot, the Padres, I think in a position where I don't know that they really have much of a choice other than to handle it the way they handled it, but they just, 
I, I think it was asking a little bit too much of those relievers. And as the, the season, you know, rolled, rolled all the way on, um, eventually, yeah, it caught up to them. And eventually, I think those guys weren't as able, uh, weren't able to be as effective as they were earlier in the year. And so you sort of add that to everything else that was taking place, you know, the last six, eight weeks or whatever it was, uh, you know, kind of you end up with the result that you do. Have you uh, been able to hear anything, you know, about exactly kind of when Jace Tingler, you know, lost the clubhouse, you know, last season? I don't know. I, I, I think lost the clubhouse is like a good talking thing on a radio show or a podcast mm-hmm. or in, a, in an article. It, it's dramatic and it makes it sound like there was a day. Well, it was June 28th and they were mm-hmm. in, you know, no, I, I don't know that it happens that way. Um, you know, I think it's just, look, nobody was saying anything like this about Jason 2020. He was a rookie manager. He was more experienced in 21 than he was in 20. Everybody started talking about Jason's experience or lack of experience in 2021. I didn't hear that in 2020 because they were winning. Um, you know, it's, it, it's stuff on the field is always going to drive all of that. And if, you know, if the pitching had stayed healthy or if the, the pitchers had been able to work deeper into the games or if generally the pitching had been better, I don't even know that we're having this conversation about Jays. Um, you know, was he the perfect clubhouse manager? Obviously not, you know, because we've heard stuff and we, we think, but like that can be overcome if it's going well on the field, you get into trouble when things aren't going well on the field. And then it's, I don't even want to say finger pointing because I think that's also overly simplistic, but then we all sort of start to look at, okay, what's, what could be better? What could be better? And I think that's kind of what happened and, you know, things weren't going well. And so, okay, change needs to be made. Improvements meet need to be made. You know, where, where can we look to that? And, you know, generally in, in this sport and in other sports, the manager or the head coach is, is kind of where that takes place. Yeah. And Tingler was let go. Now he's with the twins as their bench coach for Rocco Baldelli. Uh, the Padres brought in Bob Melvin. I don't know about you, but when I saw that alert come up, I was totally surprised. I was yeah. had a smile on my face, though, because that was, you know, you know who Bob Melvin is and the experience he has, the players, manager, all that. What was your reaction to that when all we heard of was, you know, Buck Showalter or Bruce Boach, even though it was a long shot or Ozzie Guillen, guys like that? Shocked and thrilled. I mean, those were the two things. Um, shocked because, you know, like you and everybody else, you didn't even think he was an option. Um, we never got a sniff of it. Um, we didn't know he was talking to other teams. Sounds like he turned down overtures from the Mets as well. Um, so we didn't really know he was like out there and available on the market, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then, uh, as soon as it kind of clicked in my brain that it was happening, um, I recalled a conversation I had with a couple of different people in Oakland when Tony and I were there, I think it was early August, um, when the Padres played the A's. And just the effusive praise being heaped upon the manager of that team by everybody we spoke to Um, and, and really good details. And just about how he's like the perfect modern manager, you know, because he, he can translate the analytic stuff that comes from the front office to the players with ease. Um, He is a player's manager. As you said, he also seems to have this ability to just command tremendous respect um, from everybody. And that's important in this role. Um, you know, I think if you were going to go in a lab and say, we want the perfect manager for this era of baseball, because let's be real. There was a time when Earl Weaver was the perfect manager for the era of baseball. There was a time when it was Bobby Cox. There was a time when it was Joe Torre. Like it's every era has its own little different thing. Um, you know, but I, I think if you went into the lab and you said the perfect you know, manager for the modern game, certainly for a team that has the kind of clubhouse the Padres do with the, the big names and the star power, um, this is the guy. I really believe that. And look, he hasn't managed a game as a Padre yet, but here's all you need to know, right? 
Bob Melvin in his career, I think, has gone to the postseason seven times as a manager. The Padres in their entire history have gone six times. Yep. He's been managing a lot fewer years than the Padres have been playing. Um, so, you know, and, and he's been doing it with the shoestring budget in Oakland. Um, you know, I know there was one the playoff appearance in Arizona as well, but six times with the A's. He's gone to the playoffs and they've got tremendous talent. I'm not trying to act like he was the, the magician. They've got the, the mats and they've, you know, rolled through all the different great guys that they've had there. But, um, you know, he's he has accomplished in a very legitimate way. He is respected in a very legitimate way. He's smart. He's personable. Um, the day he was introduced, I got an opportunity to sit down and record an interview for him um, for the Padres digital platforms. And the, the thing that struck me, because we talked for, I don't know, it was like 12 minutes straight. He, he just was like, totally unfazed not that i was grilling him obviously that wasn't the time or place for that but like he he just he had like the perfect answer to everything i said and it wasn't hard for him it was just natural and now does that mean he's a great manager no of course not but i think it tells you a lot about his ability to communicate his just sort of confidence and comfort with that role everything that it entails because the the media thing is important being able to talk to reporters is important being able to have relationships with broadcasters is important and that's a lot easier, I think, for a guy who's done it for as long as he has than maybe somebody who hasn't. Mm-hmm. And now that you you know you mentioned the experience and the player's manager and just the respect that he will gain when he walks right into that clubhouse, do you see him as a manager who won't let you know it down spiral if something you know happens similar to like it did last year? I mean, you hope not. You know, I mean, you, you certainly say that that's going to be one of the main things that he's going to try and prevent. But look as we said with the Jace conversation, sometimes it is out of the manager's control. You know I mean? If three fifths of your rotation is on the IL, uh, you bring back John McGraw, manage the team. I don't know if it's going to matter too much, truly. You know I mean? That's, that's it. But you know, in terms of, of keeping everybody kind of locked in, focused on the prize, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It does seem like he is the exact right kind of guy for that. Mm-hmm. Now the front office moving to the front office, kind of this off season, they don't have a ton of payroll flexibility right now. Uh, so moving Hosmer's contract, you know, it seems like a logical solution to create more room, you know, considering Hosmer's play in a Padre uniform and all that. If you were, you know, in A.J. Preller's shoes, would you move him this winter when we also, you know, can consider his 10 and 5 rights are up at the end of the year, meaning that he, if they trade him this year, then, you know, he would, wouldn't have a say in, you know, where he, where the destination would be. I, I, I don't know that I necessarily go along with like, the initial premise um look these these decisions they're all big i i just i don't know where we're at i don't know where the cba is going to be at i don't know where the dh rule is going to be at i i think it's a little bit easy early premature to just be like all right we got to trade this guy and that guy but the the premise i was referring to is the payroll thing um you Mm -hmm. know it, it seems like every couple of years somebody says well, the Padres obviously can't spend any more than they're spending because they're thinking about the Padres of 1992 and they're thinking about the Padres of 1999 and they're thinking about the Padres of 2007 and they're thinking about the Padres of 2013. That, that ain't it, man. You know, they, they said that before Hosmer was signed. They said that before Manny was signed. They said that before Fernando agreed to his extension. So this idea that, hey, they, they can't go any higher. They're kind of at their limit. So they have to move a contract in order to do something else. I don't know that I buy that now. Does it become easier to add if you're moving money? Of course. Like we all have wallets. We understand how money and finances work, you know, on a very basic level. Um, but I, 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 I would say I reject the premise that they have to move somebody out in order to bring guys in. Um, so I'm gonna, I want to start with that. But, you know, in terms of Hosmer in particular, um, I'll, I'll just say this. 
you know, last year after the trade deadline, obviously that was a little bit of a tough situation. I thought his professionalism after that was top notch, you know, I mean, in terms of how he handled things and um, you know, we weren't in the clubhouse the way we normally were, you know, kind of pre COVID um, but being around the team, talking to people who were in the clubhouse, everything like that, he didn't mope for, for 30 seconds. He didn't, you know I mean? And, and I, I think there was like a perception in the fan base, maybe that, you know, he was like, you know, having his head down and, and complaining and, and all that, not the case. I mean, from everything I've heard, he handled that literally as well as it can be possibly handled. It's a tough situation. It really was. You know, when he signed on, you know, I think he expected and, and the Padres expected to be the cornerstone of the, the first championship team here in San Diego. And, and so to have your name kind of tossed out like that and, you know, I think to be caught probably a little bit off guard by that, that's not easy. But he handled it really, really well. He did. You know, as for what happens this winter, obviously we'll have to wait and see. Now you talk about, you know, the fit uh, or kind of just rejecting the premise about, you know, having to move him so you can, you know, spend money. But how about a different premise about just the fit? You know, they acquire Adam Frazier. They have him under control for this year. Uh, You'd probably expect that they're going to get, you know, a power hitting outfielder to play left. So Frazier, his, you know, main position will probably be second base. And if they want his contact in the lineup, uh, better fielding at second base, and they know Jake Cronenworth, who was an all-star last year, can play first. Do you think that it's just a better fit for the team to have Jake at first and Frazier at second? And that means Hosmer's either not on the team or he's just sitting on the bench. Well, again, you go back to the DH conversation, but uh, you could right, you, right, you could right. have that in play as well. But I'll, I'll go beyond that, man. Look, it's November 19th. We, we know A.J. Preller well enough at this point. <laughs> to know that whatever the the composition of the 40-man roster looks like today means next to nothing, you know, mm-hmm. when it comes to opening day and, and who's going to be out there. So it's very easy to be like, well, you want to get Frazier in the lineup and what about this and that? But like this time last year, we could have been having you and I a conversation about the rotation and the names Musgrove, Darvish, and Snell would have never come out of our mouths. Um, so we got to let the thing play out a little bit is, is what I'm saying. Um, AJ is more than capable and more than willing of making a bunch of trades, a bunch of signings, a bunch of moves that literally nobody in the industry sees coming. Uh, and if that happens, this conversation becomes a very outdated very quickly. So um, yeah, I think, you know, we'll wait and see. Obviously what you're saying, there, there's some sense there, you know, you're not, you're not crazy, but who knows? I mean, they could trade, one, two, three of the guys you just mentioned, you know, they could go out and sign somebody you're not expecting. Does Tommy Pham come back? Do they need to fill two corner outfield spots? Do they need to fill one? Is it a power guy? Like, I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, it's, there's a, there's a million things that could end up happening. You know, Frazier in the outfield is the thing that's been kicked around. Um, so I think it's, it's just way, way, way too early in the off season, even with the weird CBA stuff coming to, I think have any like sort of intellectually honest conversations about who should be playing where on uh, March 28th or whatever, you know, opening day is next year. Right. Uh, Moving to, you know, just the front office, you know, kind of their approach. How would you rank uh, the Padres biggest areas of need this off season, meaning, you know, power outfield bats, uh, bullpen, you know, rotation depth. How would you rank those? Uh, Pitching, 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 and pitching would be my top four. Obviously you're going to need outfielders. You know I mean? I'm not acting like you don't, but um, yeah, Anytime I'm asked a question by anybody, hey, what, what do the Padres need to do? Literally anytime I get pitching, get more pitching. And I mean, now more than ever, right? We saw what happened last year. If, if they had two, three more, you know, guys, even if they were fringe quad A, but capable of giving you five, six innings, you know, a couple of times, like the season might have been totally different. You know, they, they just didn't survive the lack of pitching depth 
that they had. So whatever combination of relievers and starters it needs to be, you know, that's, that's what I'm going for. Um, is there going to be a rule by the way, in the new CBA limiting the number of pitchers you can have on your 26 man roster? I don't know. I mean, that's the, the craziness of baseball because it only seems to happen in this sport is like, you could go into spring training. You could go into a season and not know what the rules are going to be three weeks later on opening day. That was the case last year. I mean, people were coming up to us, um, in spring training last year being like, do you think they're going to end up adding the DH? It was like the season was two weeks away and right. like, there, like nobody knew. And I was like, I haven't heard anything different, you know, than you have. Um, I mean, that's, that's like this crazy baseball thing and kind of a whole nother conversation. So, um, but even all of that aside, pitching, 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 you figure out the rest of it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying they don't have other needs, but like my, my top 10 priorities all involves people, uh, whose arms throw the ball towards home plate. Yeah. Right. Um, I think I know the answer probably now, but how would you, what, you know, how would you consider what would you consider a successful offseason, you know, being for the Padres? Obviously acquiring pitching, like you mentioned, but what, I guess, what would be your ideal offseason? I mean, my ideal offseason, that's a good question. Because again, I, I go back to the thing I said a few minutes ago, like if you and I were sitting here having this conversation a year ago and you said, what's the ideal offseason? I, I wouldn't have dreamt up Snell and Musgrove and Darvish. I, yeah. I don't have the creativity that AJ does. Um, you know, and I, I, I probably would have said something far more modest than that. And it's probably the same thing now. You know, I mean, I could sit here and say, yeah, power bat, two starters, uh, a couple of relievers, a back end guy, um, you know, and then he's going to go out and like trade for Kimbrell or something. I don't know. Uh, it's, 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 it's hard to say. I think, again, we all know what the, the needs are. Um, and, and AJ, this is the fun thing about being a Padre fan in, in 2021 and 2022 is you got a general manager who's apparently capable of pulling off almost anything. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll kind of wait and see what happens, but it's, it's such an interesting moment in time for this fan base and this franchise, because, you know, it's like, you're on the cusp, right? You're on the cusp and it feels a little bit, you know, like, all right, which way is this thing going to go? Um, but then you get reminded like, Oh, you do have Abrams and you do have hassle and, and the way, that the organization views those guys, it, it's real deal. It's real deal. And so, you know, we, we could look back at our chat two years from now and be like, can you believe we were sweating about, you know, that guy? Because look at what Abrams has done. I mean, and then who knows, you know, the guys that they drafted this year, another two years after that, that's, that's the fun of what they've been able to do. And, you know, they've made a lot of changes in player development. And hopefully that leads to, again, a little bit more depth through the system coming up. That's obviously the goal. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot of fun right now. And, and it, it always to me feels like, you know, sky's the limit and anything is possible. Mm-hmm. Now last two, you know, kind of combined question here, but would you, do you think the Potters are going to bring back Tommy Pham and how would you replace Mark Melanson? Um, I, I think there's a, certainly a chance that they bring back Tommy Pham. I, I know they think highly of him. His numbers last year, probably better than like most fans would realize. Um, obviously he hasn't been healthy, you know, as a Padre, um, but he's a very productive player. They like his intensity. They like his edge. You know, they like what he brings from that standpoint. So I certainly wouldn't rule it out. They obviously know a lot more about his health than I do. Um, and, I, and I think that would probably, along with money, of course, be the, the sort of key thing to figure out. You know, in terms of the back end of the bullpen, who knows? I mean, last year, what remember, it's, it's easy to forget. You went into spring training and it was like, what was it? Pomerantz, Kella, Melanson. Am I missing anybody? Was there a fourth guy there? What? Pagan. Pagan, right. It was like, oh, which one of these guys is going to be the closer? Um, and 
So I, I again, I, I, it's, it's wimpy of me, but I'll play the November 19th card and be like, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out because the reality was last year, even on March 10th, I don't think we had like a great understanding of who's going to be closing games. And then Melanson goes out, leads the league and becomes a closer. Uh, he becomes an all-star. So um, that's, that's again, the fun of having AJ Preller as the general manager of your favorite team. Right. All right. This has been a fun conversation. Again, Jesse Agler joining us for the second time. Uh, Ben Fadden here. This has been episode 72 of the Talking Fires podcast. Thanks so much for listening and watching on YouTube. And until next time, let's go Padres.